Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge-On Simmons. Welcome into the Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. I am Christian Simmons, and I am not joined by anyone. Um, I'm alone. If you listen to our uh, podcast earlier in this week, you would know that Bailey is taking a vacation this weekend because it is the Tampa Bay Bucks bye week, and he does a lot of Buck stuff. So it is just me um, for this lovely, really, really cool, what I'm sure will be very optimistic and happy post-game podcast. Bailey actually didn't even get to watch the game, which I think makes him one of the luckiest UCF fans out there right now. Um, so UCF played Kansas on the road. Um, didn't go great. Uh, did not go well. I, um, I've been, I've been tweeting through it the entire day, but I tweeted a little earlier in the day how I, so we'd kind of heard rumors earlier in this week that we're not rumors. It was just reported, not reported that Kansas's quarterback who'd missed the Texas game might miss this game as well. And at that point, I started to feel against all odds and logic and reality, kind of confident in UCF's ability to win this game because I sort of view Kansas as their quarterback's very good. Daniels has been fantastic for them these last couple of years. And I thought, this is a team that UCF probably matches up matches up well with from a talent perspective. Daniels is a lot of what they do well. It's on his shoulders. Sure, UCF just blew a 35 to 7 lead and lost on the road to Kansas State before that, but they've been competitive in both those games. They've played well. They've held late leads. I think if Kansas doesn't have their quarterback, they can win this game, especially since their backup, Jason Bean, um, is two and five as a starter in the last couple of years. I thought they were good to go if he didn't play. News breaks that he's definitely not going to play, that he's out. On top of that, news breaks that John Rice Plumley is returning from his injury way earlier than expected. I think that we'd all assume that Oklahoma, which is two weeks away still, and that's going to be a day, would be the earliest that we could see him, but he came back in this game. So I was feeling good. I was feeling confident. Started getting nervous right before kickoff, but even when I was nervous, I don't think, oh man, maybe you're, maybe one of you out there is a prophet and you thought so, but I'd, I never imagined that UCF would not only lose, but just get annihilated. I mean, this is a game that, Final score doesn't look good as is, but final score or not, this game was not competitive. UCF was shut out in the first half for the first time since 2015, which like, let me tell you, when you're when you're repeating a stat, whenever something UCF related happens and they say first time since 2015, bad, really, really, really bad. So yeah, uh, this is this is tough. Um, I wasn't panicking after the Baylor game. We talked about that a lot on our last two pods since that game about how I was frustrated and upset really, really angry just because of that game and that moment and what it meant to the fan base and that they had to lose that lead and go down. But I wasn't worried because we've talked about it a million times. UCF's played well in those big 12 games. I thought that they'd proven they had P5 talent. They've proven they can compete in this league. It's just time to finish. Um, don't feel that way anymore. Uh, this, this, this felt like something else. This felt like, I don't know, it feels like a lot of things are going wrong for this team right now for them to go out against Kansas and just frankly not even be competitive the whole way. So I thought one thing that would be fun to do to sort of, you know, put this loss into, you know, kind of contextualize it is that on our podcast this past week, we took a break from our u- usual preview format and we said, we're going to outline the five things that UCF needs to do to get this season back on track. Bailey and I broke down the five most important things the Knights had to do to not make me feel how I currently feel. So why don't we go, let's just run through those five and and let's see how they did. Week one after Bailey and I gave them this advice, which I'm sure they brought up. I'm sure Gus Malzahn listened to the Pegasus podcast, saw our five things and was like, guys, we got a game plan. Maybe he should have, who knows? So the first thing we said was get JRP back. Um, I We talked a lot about on our past podcast, how that was probably the key to getting the season back on track was that if JRP comes back and he plays well and they win, then you can chalk up the couple bad losses to, okay, they had a backup quarterback that wasn't true to the season, all that. I even said in my just 
alarmingly stellar wisdom. I even said on our other podcast that he needs to come back, even if they have to rush him back a little bit. Now, key being a little bit, I said that I was fine with him playing, even if he wasn't hundred percent, because I thought it might be worth it to get him back and try to get the season back on track. So that is exactly what happened. We get the new season starting. I'm excited. We don't know exactly how healthy he is. We, we should have known there was actually the broadcast basically laid out exactly why we were screwed right before the game started, because the broadcast starts talking about John Rice Plumley, and they'd spoken with him. And they, so they have that information and they say that he's 80 to 90%. I hear that and don't freak out. I think, okay, that's, that's probably to be expected. That was a pretty serious injury to come back from this quickly. I think, I think you roll with 80 to 90. I think that's perfectly acceptable. Then they said one other thing that sent, sent me from that's acceptable to, I am in an actual cold sweat panic. And that was that John Rice told them that while he's not 80 to 90%, he's also really not planning to run very much because he can't do that very well right now. They said that on the broadcast right before the game started. And in that moment, all my hope was gone. And, you know, it, it's just that that's what JRP does well is he runs the ball. That's where his value comes from. We're not, we don't love JRP because he can chuck the ball downfield. That's not his strength. So that was worrying. What happened after that is shocking for so many reasons. So they do get JRP back. He starts the game. He leaves the game four plays in, and it was after the first time he really put any real weight on his knee. He had a jump pass where he landed on that knee. He immediately hops off the field, and Timmy comes in. Um, that looked bad. I was like, I don't know what happened there. Okay. They then come in on the broadcast and say that he felt a pop in his knee, but don't worry. Pop, I know usually for an athlete, pop in your knee means your life has just been altered permanently. And for the UCF coaching staff and the athletic trainers, it meant you're fine. Get back out there. So I'm like poking fun. I guess it's fine, but still just crazy. So he comes back in, can't move. They tried two more drives with JRP. The man cannot move. He throws the ball a few times, clearly has no mobility, no ability to run. They finally give up on that. By the time they've given up on JRP, by the way, UCF's already down 17 to nothing on the defense, which that's a whole other thing we'll get to. And that's that. And there has been a lot. It's been a rough week if uh, for UCF's coaching staff, for Gus Malzahn in particular, because as I predicted after the Baylor game, the fan base has has turned on him big time. And I said that it was going to take a lot to win the fan base's trust back. Didn't happen today. Um, and I don't know the full story. I don't know the full situation. But what was abundantly clear from this game was that John Rice Plumley was not even close to healthy. He could not move. He could barely jog on and off the field. And for this coaching staff to players, I don't have, I don't put any of this on JRP because players are always going to want to play. Never in history has there been a player who said, I don't want to go on the field. I'm fine sitting out. Whenever a player is hurt, they want to get back out there. For the coaching staff to allow him out there in that state is, is insane. I, I, I don't even know what better word there is for it. It's just, it's crazy that they did that. Um, both just from a JRP safety perspective and from a game plan perspective, I think from both, both angles, it's crazy. They did that. It's really just, I, I, it's almost beyond words. And, and so from the health perspective, he was cleared, wasn't hundred percent, couldn't move, not convinced he should have been out there from a game planning perspective. It's just so infuriating to watch the same thing happen over and over and over where how many times we've said John Rice Plumley and what makes him valuable to UCF is that he is an incredible athlete, probably the best other than maybe Culpepper pure athlete they've had at the quarterback position. He kills teams with his legs. That's how he does what he does. That is always and forever will be how UCF wins games with John Rice Plumley. is he's just so freaking fast. Other teams don't have answers for him with his legs. He can make something out of nothing when a play falls apart, goes crazy, rushes for 100 plus yards a game. That's what makes John Rice Plumley valuable. He's at his absolute peak. He's an okay passer. So for UCF to have a situation where John Rice Plumley clearly cannot move, like there is no reality where he was running around in practice from how he looked in that field. He clearly cannot move. 
and they put him out there anyway, knowing that the only part of his game that makes him valuable to UCF is deeply compromised is insanity. I, I, I just, I don't understand what possibly could have led. And I understand Timmy McLean makes mistakes. I'm not sitting here and saying, well, Timmy's just so awesome. Why wouldn't they roll Timmy? We knew Timmy makes mistakes. He made quite a few more tonight, but to think that you could win this game with John Rice Plumley not being able to move as the quarterback, especially since we saw this last year, multiple times we saw them try this last year against Navy in the AAC title game. They rolled with JRP when he couldn't move and it didn't work. So for them to know what this looks like and try it again, I just, I don't understand what the infatuation is between the staff and JRP at this point. I don't understand it. It, it just, it feels like that they will defy all logic, all reality, all odds to get him out on the field whenever they can, even when it doesn't make sense, either from a health perspective or a game plan perspective. So getting JRP back was step one in our get UCF back on track. They got him back, not in the way I would have thought, went horribly. So that's not too great. The next thing we said earlier this week to get the season back on track was that UCF needs to lock down the locker room. They need to make sure the culture is strong. They need to make sure they avoid a 2015 and guys don't start quitting on the team. You can't quantify that after one game. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it happened. Um, I am going to sit here and tell you that it sure felt at time, like several times throughout the night at times watching this game that this team felt a little checked out. Um, especially once Kansas built the big lead early, especially on defense, it looked like the team was a bit checked out. And that to me feels almost like an explanation to what happened because I know that every game is different, but I don't fully know how a team that competed really hard with and almost beat both Kansas State and Baylor then is actually lifeless against Kansas. Can't get anything going on offense and defense for most of the game. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say they've lost the locker room because I don't know anything about the state of the locker room right now. I'm not going to sit here and try to act like, and you know, anyone who is probably is, is, is kind of BSing you because we just don't know about what the state of the locker room is like. But I do know that that's how 2015 went from what was probably a four or five one team to an own 12 team was the locker room quit. And this was a season UCF's used to winning. All the guys in this roster are used to winning. This was a season with a lot of big expectations. And now they're in a situation where I, as of right now, feel like they probably aren't even going to go to a bowl. Um, I don't know if there's three wins left, if they keep playing this way. That's a situation where you can see the locker room start to erode. Guys might start kind of not giving 100% every game. Uh, that's where things get really tenuous. So number two, also not off to a good start. The number three thing we had for them was trust your talent. We talked about how UCF tends to do a lot of gimmicky stuff, and maybe they should just trust that they have good players and let those players play. Didn't really happen tonight, um, and I don't even know if we were wise to give that advice anymore because there were several situations tonight where UCF was letting the team play, and it just felt like things weren't working out. Their longest offensive drive of the night came off a bunch of gimmicky trick plays and whatnot. We had lots of – we had a Kobe Hudson pass attempt, which did not work. UCF has graduated from trying to get R.J. Harvey to throw the ball to trying to get Kobe Hudson to throw the ball, and it still hasn't worked. Don't know what that's about. They had all kinds of crazy stuff on that drive. The one thing I will say to this is that Timmy McLean started taking a couple deep shots late in the game and not all of them were catches, but they all looked good. And they, and a lot of them helped move the ball down the field and Timmy's going to do dumb things. I think we just know that about Timmy by now is that he, he, he makes some mistakes. He once again lost, he lost six yards running backwards um, past the line of scrimmage. I don't know beyond the line behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, so that's still a thing. That's cool. But it was just a classic example to me of, of late in the game, UCF starts, chucking the deep ball and it's working and i'm kind of like why why weren't you trusting timmy with this earlier what did you have to lose when you were down 17 to nothing and nothing was going on offense why did it take this late in the game to think hey maybe we can move on from just handing the ball off or just trying things to pick up seven eight nine yards let's throw this downfield because that's timmy's strength we know he's good at that and you know you have good receivers who can catch those balls notably kobe hudson and javon baker so 
I do think they still need to trust their talent more, even though that talent seemingly after this game has more limitations than we previously thought. So that's that's another one that we can cross off, didn't really work out. The fourth one Bailey and I had was you need to stick to an O-line. And we talked about that. We weren't sure how possible that would be with injuries. Turns out it's not. Uh, they once again had a new O-line because Caden Kittler got hurt late in the Baylor game, and I guess it's still hurt um, because Bula Schmidt started at center. So this was once again kind of a new O-line configuration that we only saw against the against Baylor in the second half of that game, which you guys know how that went. So then the final of the five things we had that we identified for UCF was manage your late game situations better. You can't fall apart late in the game. Didn't matter not at all. Game was over by halftime. So didn't didn't even have to worry about that one. So Bailey and I outlined five things and they're all going terribly. So I, I, it's tough. And you know, if I, if I were a podcast host here for the, here for the views and the downloads and the listens, which I guess like maybe I am, I guess most podcast hosts are, I would probably just spend the rest of this podcast talking about the quarterback situation. I'm gonna let you guys in a little like insider secret of the Pegasus podcast is Bailey and I joke about this a lot, but it's like not a joke is it was, we've been doing this podcast, God, more than two and a half years now. It was January of 2021 was almost three years worth. Wow. Time is flying. And all of our highest listened to episodes are episodes that are something about a quarterback. Like John Rice Plumley gets hurt or Mikey Keen is now starting or Timmy McLean will start. Like you guys just love quarterback stuff. And I get it. Football fans love quarterbacks. So I could just, I could just spend the rest of this podcast talking about quarterbacks, but I'm here to burst your bubble a little bit. If you think that JRP not being healthy is the problem here, I can tell you right now why UCF is not going to win a whole lot of games the rest of the season. And it's because this defense is bad. This defense is really, really bad. And it's something that we were worried about in the offseason. We definitely had reservations about how good this defense could be, particularly the secondary, particularly at linebacker. We weren't as worried about D-line. Um, it's become clear that this defense can't hang in the Big 12. Um, they allowed, obviously against Kansas tonight, they allowed 51 points. They allowed 36 against Baylor last week. They allowed 40-something-plus points against Kansas State the week before that. This defense can't hang in the Big 12. Um, they just can't. They're, they've allowed just more points than you can imagine in all three big 12 games. And I don't foresee that changing when they play Oklahoma in two weeks. So we can talk about quarterback all day long. We can talk about how, Oh, John Rice just needs to get healthy. But the truth is that the only way that UCF is going to win games the rest of the season is in high scoring shootouts because this defense can't be trusted for anything. Will that go better if JRP comes back? Yes, but the defense is the story. Um, I think very particularly, if you want to break it down, the D line isn't terrible, but, but injuries are hurting them there. Um, Ricky Barber has just basically not been healthy this whole season, and I believe he did not play tonight, which John Walker is going to be a really, really good player long-term, and he's already shown a lot of potential this year, but that's a position where you need depth. It's not about just one guy, and they just don't have that depth right now, having to play John Walker as much as they have. I never imagined he'd be playing this much um, as a freshman. Uh, linebacker, they just don't have anything. They just don't have anything at linebacker. Jason Johnson's really solid, and it sounds overly harsh and I don't mean to be this harsh, but there's just really no one else at linebacker who's a starting caliber player at the power five level. Um, Walter Yates did not play tonight, uh, which did not help. I don't know if that's an injury or what. I'll actually double check that, but I don't believe I ever saw him out there and he's not showing up in the stat sheet. So I don't believe he played. We saw a lot of Ryan Davis, who was the Georgia transfer, who was kind of highly thought of and hasn't really lived up to it. I know Cam Moore is the other option there. So linebacker is, is a huge hole in the middle of the defense. They just don't really have any. And, and that's something that you can't really fix week to week. Like, I wish I could sit here and offer you some hope of, well, they can try. I, I just, it's, it's clear they don't have players there who can compete at this level. Secondary is, secondary has been hit or miss uh, depth issues there as well. So I will say that when you talk about how the defense got to this stage, it's two things to me. The first is the injuries, not having Ricky Bar uh, Ricky Barber's maybe the best player on defense. Not having him is basically not having had him all season is changing games in a bad way. I, I, I can't overstate that. And not having Yates, obviously, that's already a thin position that hurts. And the other thing is that, you know, we look at 
the the uh, not the linebackers excuse me look at the transfers that they brought in and UCF had a strategy for the last two years which was the right strategy which was that we don't have time to build this roster up to a power five level through recruiting because high school recruiting is you're going to get those guys in it'll be two years before they can really be really good players we need to supplement through the portal so for the last two years they've taken small high school classes to leave room for 10 plus portal guys and it worked well it worked well for 2021 it worked well for 2022 they missed on everyone in this transfer class. I, I I mean, not I I don't mean literally everyone on offense. There were a couple guys that worked out, but you look at defense and you just realize, I mean, I'm, I'm, it was kind of wild to look back at Bailey and I did a transfer draft this summer. And I was looking back at the guys we took earlier today and was realizing how almost none of them are even playing. And you look at uh, the transfers that UCF brought in for defense that we thought were going to be impact guys. They brought in DeCorey and Patterson out of middle Tennessee who led the nation in interceptions last year, beat Miami, helped beat Miami for middle Tennessee, had a cup, had a pick six against them. We haven't seen him basically at all. He's, he was playing earlier in the season. I don't even know if he got on the field against Baylor. If he did, it was minimal. I don't believe he, he just hasn't really been part of things at all. Um, he's uh, he's not showing up in the stat sheet right now in front of me. I'm not sure how much air at fall all he did play tonight. Jairo Wilson was another guy who has definitely been out there and factored in, but isn't necessarily what we thought he was going to be. He's the guy they got. He's the safety they got from East Carolina, who we had really high expectations for. Ryan Davis, Georgia linebacker, who we thought was going to come in and start, hasn't really been worth playing. Sean Peterson, we thought they'd be adding some depth at DE. He's a guy that we just haven't seen a ton of. So when in theory over the summer and in the spring when they had all these guys, we thought there were the makings of a good defense there and it just didn't pan out. So I'm not out on Coach Addison at all. I'm seeing a lot of tweets about people saying they need to fire the defense coordinator and get him out of here. I'm not worried about that because recruiting is going well. He's a first time DC. He's a guy who's really sought after as a coach. And I think that it's, this is just one of those situations where he was promoted to DC at the end, at the end of last season. They don't have talent right now. They don't have talent. And it's hard to judge how good your DC is when you don't have talent. And I, I understand that people might come back and say, well, he recruited, he helped recruit these guys from the portal. So clearly he can't evaluate talent. Portal recruiting is nuts guys. I, I mean, I mean, you look at high school recruiting is already a crapshoot. Basically even the highest rated guys, like most five stars, especially quarterbacks, guys like that, you've got like a 50, 50% hit rate at the highest level of highest rated guys. That's high school recruiting where you evaluate and talk to and build relationships with guys for two years or more in the portal recruiting era. Someone enters the portal. You literally have hours to offer them. If you want a shot at them, there is no evaluation that can really take place. You get your hands on what tape you have. I know there are a couple of services teams use, yeah, you, you watch it, you make a gut decision, you go for it. So I'm not going to hold any of these coaches to the standards of why didn't they scout these portal guys better? Some hit, some miss, that's life. But I, I, that's why I'm not really out on Addison. Um, we did get some Gus Malzahn news this week um, in what has to literally be the worst timing in the history of the human race, Gus Malzahn's uh, new contract, which we all kind of like figured had happened this summer that he probably got an extension at some point. It got leaked this week that he signed a new deal. It's going to keep him in UCF through, I believe, 2027. Uh, it's going to up his salary pretty significantly. Uh, it'll top out, I believe at 4.5 million or uh, excuse me, 5.5 million, which would make him one of the highest paid coaches in the big 12. The thing that you have to understand, because UCF's naturally getting hammered for that because of the time it leaked out, um, is that if, you know, you know, it looks like UCF blew a 35, seven lead, and then they gave their coach millions upon millions of dollars, which is obviously not what happened. You have to kind of look at this through the lens of when that contract was handed out. Um, if that had been announced in July, when UCF was, um, just going crazy on the recruiting trail and getting these commitments from in in incredible four-star guys and how, you know, we had a lot of hope for the season, then that's applauded. It just happened now. And I, there's a lot of pressure for basically every UCF media folk or anyone who has a podcast or writes articles to basically get on the train of screw Gus Malzahn, get him out of here. He shouldn't be the coach, blah, 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 blah. And it's, I'm going to tell you the same thing I said with Josh Eiffel when he was here is that I have, I, you know, 
I, I understand fan outrage and I'm not going to sit here and say, don't be angry. Cause this has been as close to as miserable of a couple weeks for UCF as I can remember in recent years, absolutely post 2017, it's been the worst stretch by far, even worse than 2020. And, and I get that outrage. I absolutely do get that outrage. And I get that it it's easy to just point the coach and say, Hey, he's got to go, but I just have to deal in realism. I do. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they should fire them all on or that they can fire them all on. Um, I, I don't think that's the right choice, even if they could. Um, I think that at the same time, it's fair to say that there are problems, uh, with the staff and with Malzahn. Um, it's, this is year three for him. And I feel like we've watched quarterback get screwed up five different times now. Um, it just feels like that's a position and Auburn fans warned us that that would happen, but that just feels like a position that we can't get right here. Um, I know we, we talked about at length. I don't really want to get back into it that much last year about how Mikey Keene, you know, the team assumed he was going to be the starter. He all accounts. And I mean, all accounts are that he played better than John Rice, both in the spring and fall, and that the team was stunned. Players were actually shocked when Gus named JRP the starter. That led to Mikey Keene transferring. He's now at Fresno State, who is ranked undefeated, the group of five favorite for the New Year's Six bid. And that is not just a team he's present on. He That's in large part due to how well he's played. He absolutely would be playing well if he was at UCF still. You have Tommy Castellanos, who was supposed to be the backup this year and kind of under sort of mysterious circumstances, um, decided to enter the portal in kind of a shocking move after spring ball. Um, we didn't know a lot about that at the time. We know a little more about it now. I still don't know like what is or isn't exactly out there, but you, you that, that a lot of that's on the staff for the way that went down. And I don't really, I don't personally hold anything against Tommy for deciding to move on. So it's just, and now we have this situation once again today where John Rice Plumlee clearly should not even be in the football game due to his health. And the team dug itself into a 17 to nothing hole, just trying to get him to play. I, I don't know what the deal, I, I just... We might just live in a world where until UCF finds a transcendent talent at quarterback, Gus is just going to keep tinkering and it's going to keep being a mess. Um, and that's unfortunate. They have guys coming in who could be good. I'm sure they'll go try to land a transfer, but that's a problem. There are problems with the staff. Play calling, I know, is the thing that's gone up and down. And we're not even really sure who's calling the plays. And that's been another thing is that I don't know if Gus Malzahn is. I I think people are reading a little too much into a couple comments. I know it was Hinshaw's comments about tempo, about, oh, the, the head coach can help determine the tempo that People took that to mean he was calling the plays. That's not really the case. Um, that's a, a lot of head coaches have given up play calling, but still obviously have final say on things like that and will help dictate the flow of the game. My bigger concern for, and I don't know the answer, but if Gus is calling plays, we didn't want him to stop calling plays because we thought he wasn't good at calling plays. I know some of you thought that, but that wasn't the reason it had to happen. The reason it had to happen is because being a head coach in college football has evolved. And as a head coach, being the CEO of the program and roster management and culture and locker room management and high school recruiting and portal recruiting, that's all a full-time job now where you don't have time to spend your whole week game planning and preparing for opponents. That's why you need to give up play calling. So if he is still heavily involved in that process, that's a problem. It's a huge problem because it means he doesn't have enough time to do at that well or the rest of his job well. So that's worrying if that's even a little bit true. And if you read the 247 Sports Brandon Marcello piece on UCF where he embedded with them for a week is clear that Gus Malzahn is heavily involved in the game plan for each game. And I don't know how healthy that is, but that's where we're at. But none of that changes the fact that interestingly, we don't have the actual contract for Gus Malzahn. UCF almost always releases contracts and apparently that's not happening, uh, which is, which is worrying for all kinds of reasons why Gus, we're not getting a hold of Gus Malzahn's actual contract, but we don't know what the buyout is. We don't know anything like that. We don't know if what the situation is but i'm telling you right now that even if let's let's live in fantasy land for a second where for some reason gus malzahn negotiated a contract where ucf could fire him with ease again not the case but let's just live in that land i still think it's it's still think it's a bad idea because this is not and ucf fans have to understand this because they haven't had a coaching change since the portal really took hold is that when you fire a coach you're not it's not like when frost left and you bring in hypo and you've got the players you like and he makes things work teams disassemble overnight 
when you change a coaching staff. And there are a lot of guys on this team who I do not want to see disassembled, who I, I don't want to see in the portal and heading elsewhere. I want them to stay here. And, you know, I, I just think that 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 has to be taken into account. I also think that they have a lot of really, really good transfer, uh, really, really good freshmen, excuse me, coming in. Now we'll see if this class holds together. I don't think that them losing games is necessarily going to kill this class. I think they were always probably going to lose a couple guys just because of how many guys they have in this class. There's still a couple they might gain. But if they hold this class together, which I think can happen, UCF will get a lot better. I just, I don't see a logical argument that's not based on emotion for firing Malzahn. And, and like I said, even if there was an argument for it, it's still literally not a financial possibility. So I just don't think that conversation is worth having. So that's why on this podcast, you're, you're probably not going to see us having the whole Gus debate. It's just not something that we're going to do. But I do think that fans probably need to move on from that one a little bit. I, I I get the frustration guys. I do. I'm not sitting here until you don't be frustrated because this sucks. Um, This was, this was a season we talked about my whole life. The idea of UCF being in the big 12, but it's been largely miserable. So it is unfortunate. And I get that anger has to go somewhere, but reality is what reality is. But yeah, I, I think that I can keep rambling, but I think we've probably pretty much covered what a horrible and sad day today has been. Um, Bailey and I are going to be back this week with a podcast for the bye week Um, we're not going to go until Wednesday. We're going to take a few days just because we do have that bye week. So not really a reason to rush into a pot on Monday. Obviously will not be a preview pot of the Oklahoma game, which is still two weeks away, which I'm also sure is just going to be great guys. Like watching Dylan Gabriel put up six touchdowns on UCF is going to be a hoot. Um, but we will have a nice podcast. We're probably going to dive into recruiting a little bit. I know I just talked about the class. I guess maybe that was a bit of a teaser we're going to try to uh maybe get a better a bit better look at where the recruiting class stands right now and if there's reason to worry there but you know i today sucks but you, you know we're it's football <laughs> it's just ucf's not always going to win the games and i guess that we ucf was so good for so long that we kind of forgotten how bad it feels when they're i mean this is their first three game losing streak since 2016 i i, I just seven years and that's that's tough to square with but that's just the way it is and we just have to I guess live with that for two more weeks since we got the bye week, but I do thank you guys so much for joining me for this solo podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of talking on my part, but talking a lot is one of my favorite things to do. So I had a good time and uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Thank you so much guys for listening. I hope you all have a fun night and weekend after that thing we just watched, but we'll see you next week.